Arts, Lifestyle, SNS Online. Welcome, Scratch and Sniffers, to the mysterious world of HowlRound. Those magnificent magicians of radiophonic sound who can create a symphony from a stairwell, a concert from a creaky hinge, and a gargantuan G-flat from a garden gate. Where the macro and micro exist in perfect harmony, or in imperfect synchronicity. The contradictions and the possibilities are endless. And where it transports your imagination, you know not where or when. And joining us in the studio today via sound waves travelling through the very air itself is HowlRound creator and head composer, that enigmatic traveller in frequencies both high and low, for being known only as Robin the Fog. So, Robin, welcome to SNS um, Online. Uh, first question: What fired up your interest for all things radiophonic? Uh, hi, Nick. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes. Shall I do that first? <laughs> uh, no, this is good. Thank you for having me. I've got my, I've got my, uh, got my muffin there. Executive saving, muffin, executive coffee. Later. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Yeah. I've got my coffee here, yeah. which is very so nice. Any, any reason he agreed to do the show if he had posh coffee? So it's the perks. We give good perks. So tell mm. us about these radiophonics and uh, how you got all fired up. Um, on it. <clears throat> How did I first get fired up on it? Mm. On it, like radiophonic. On it, <laughs> like an old car bonnet. <laughs> like, we could be here all day. Let's, um, let's not. Let's not. Right. Um, okay. Cut to the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Uh, it was. Was it uh, things like Doctor Who or you know Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy? Weirdly, that sort of stuff? no, oh, it okay. wasn't. It actually wasn't that. In tweaking. Um, Basically, when I was 11, I was watching Top of the Pops and a band called Alternate were on performing uh, their then hit single, Activate. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I found the performance on YouTube. It hasn't aged quite as well as I have. But I remember as a, I would have been 11 and I remember thinking, oh, I really love those like laser noises in the song. Mm. Obviously, synth, I realise now they're synth noises, mm. but they're all these kind of splattery, squelchy noises that I really mm. liked. And I started to get into, you know, as you do, started to get into dance music and into rave music and into, you know, jungle and hardcore and techno and all those things. Uh, and I started collecting records and trying to DJ and then I went to college to do music technology. But gradually along the way, I realised that dance music and DJing although I loved it it wasn't really what interested in me it was something about the sort of the texture and the timbre of those sounds of mm. the you know the sort of of electronic music the way you know the way it feels like it's been bolted together from all kinds of different sonic events mm. and how um you know some tracks almost feel like little mini sculptures you know and then I sort of realized that when I'd been a, when I was a kid I um I noticed sounds a lot I remember as like a four-year-old noticing the sound the car made on gravel and sort of becoming quite fascinated with it. Um, and I used to like watch TV programs and I noticed that the sound of the train 
breaks on one James Bond film that I used to watch was exactly the same sound as a much bigger train on another James Bond film. <laughs> uh, so I'm not quite sure. Nerd alert! What, borderline. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, but no, I have quite an obsessive personality, and I, I I just I notice things like that. I notice details a lot. Unfortunately, I very seldom notice the bigger picture, but I always notice the details. <laughs> And so, I think we're cut from the same cloth, sir. I mean, yeah, obviously, I think so. you know, you, you, I think you've more sort of bent into one particular direction, but certainly certain sound effects like glass breaking, there seems to be a standard BBC, mm-hmm. um, you know, classic is, that you would hear. As I got into, I, you know, I, I did my music technology course and I suddenly realised that the technology, and I stand by this to this day, the technology interests me up to the point that it makes, that it makes ideas happen. Yeah. Um, but beyond that... If it's just, if you're just, you know, literally, if, you know, you might go, well, that's very clever, but what are you actually doing with it? So the course I went on was all how. This is a sampler. This is how it works. This is an effects unit. This is how it works. And in hindsight, I was kind of, I didn't, I I wanted to make things. I wasn't really that bothered about why it did it or, you know, I wanted to know, I wanted to know what I could do with it. Uh, And then I got given the chance to up it to a degree, uh, which I did. And suddenly the, t- the, the tack changed and it, it stopped being how and it started being why. Mm-hmm. You know, so I started being suddenly exposed to all this amazing music that I'd never heard before. And obviously because my background was in electronic music and the sort of timbre and the tone of those sounds, I was already interested, which opened up the sort of doors for all kinds of experimental music. And one of my lectures did a lecture on musique concrète, which is what I do now. And I realised that that was the thing... I'd wanted to do all along was to actually use sound to make music. So that um, actually led you into discovering the BBC Radiophonic Workshop exactly. and, and all exactly. the rest of it and realising you had all these lovely purely, bedfellows to... Yeah, purely yeah. through that. Um, I mean, I was, how old would I have been? 21? So I was quite young at the time and I was quite a naive 21-year-old because um, I grew up in quite a small town and was the only person I knew who was into this kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, you know. Again, this sounds very yeah, funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and then, so you weren't a science fiction, a rabid Doctor Who fan? I, like, I enjoyed Doctor Who when I was a kid. I enjoyed yeah. it. I, I did watch it, but I wasn't obsessed with it. I enjoyed it. I didn't say um, I was obsessed. Uh, <laughs> no one no one says you're obsessed. They just whisper it. Um, <laughs> but I enjoyed Doctor Who. And I think the weird thing is that the reason... Uh, uh, the, the modern ones I've seen, uh, I've been very impressed with. I thought they were very well written, very well acted. But the thing is... They didn't have that make do and men feel that Absolutely. the early Doctor Who's have, yep. or the my era was Sylvester McCoy. We're too nice. So they didn't have that very slight. And I realised, and obviously I'm talking in hindsight here, and I realised what appealed to me about it was that there was a very slight crapness about them. <laughs> and I think British British life, there's a you know from Carry On films onwards. Well, just, you know, giving Carry On films as an example, we sort of celebrate the slight crapness of everything. You know, I mean, look at Harry Hill nowadays. His whole shtick is, is celebrating is crap. That things are a bit <laughs> crap. You know, um, and the thing is, uh, you know, Radiophonic Workshop fit into that. Not not crapness, but crap conditions. It's like uh, we need all this stuff. We're giving you no money. You've got a load of broken equipment, uh, and so as a result, they have to work much harder to make it do what they want it to do. Mm. Uh, and if you look at the Sylvester McCoy era Doctor Who, which is what I grew up on, they have to work a lot harder to make it convincing because it really isn't. And you can see the zip on the creature's back still and all this. No, sort you of can't. Stuff. Oh, you can sometimes. Well, look at look at. Do you remember Button Moon? Uh, yes. Well, you know who did the theme to Button Moon? Terry. Uh, no, Terry. 
Peter Peter Davison. Peter Davison, yeah. Um, but the thing about Button Moon that uh, I realise now is that the kid, you really have to suspend your disbelief because uh, you can see the people in the background moving the puppets. You can see the strings moving the mouth. Um, you know, that it's Sorry, really this obvious. this is all filtering through. I'm, I didn't it's, hear any of that. It's really obvious said. that the no, it's not. No. spaceship no. is a ting- is a can of anyway. soup and a bathroom funnel. But you have to use your imagination, Nick. Okay. You have to use your imagination to make it work. And I think... I'm trying to use it at the moment. Uh, and I think the thing that the thing I love is when, with Music Concrete, with, with Very Different Watch, when you meet it halfway. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. When you have to make, you ha- you have to make the final connection yourself mm-hmm. to, to make it into a, uh, an, actual, an actual thing. I think it's... it's who was it said the Uncanny Valley? You know, when something Sally Rainwhite? No, actually, it was my friend. It was my friend um, Wainwright. Even uh, it was my friend Sarah Anglis, who's an amazing composer. She mm. does stuff with dummies. Okay, legal. Uh, and she says the thing is, when a dummy still looks like a dummy, people don't mind. But when it gets too realistic, when it enters the uncanny valley, they're freaked out. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. think, and Doctor Who, I think a lot of the dummies mm. looked like dummies, and Button Moon, the you know, it still looked like objects. It's when it starts to become seamless and sort of start to look a bit. But let's transpose that to audio only, which is the field you work in. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you even start to convey emotion or a, a, a soundscape, a, a different planet? Do you have a particular idea of what your audience is seeing, or are you allowing them just to step on board Fantasy City and to e- explore what they d- they can in their mind? To take them where they want, um, because that's what your music inspires to me. It's a weird thing. I always, I always say this um, with with Howlround and with the kind of stuff I do. I always say um, it's a bit like a conjurer showing you how the trick was done, mm. but it's still being magic. Mm. Because um, so you know, it's so I'm always surprised by what I get, and the weird thing is so much of what I get with Howround isn't what I thought I would get and it happens every time and it's still a, it's still a it's a philosophy that sort of I've built up as I've worked not to start with it's something that I've that I've developed as I've carried on working because the amount of times at the end of like a couple of hours of working on something I've set off with one idea in mind what I thought I would get and 90% of the time I get something very very different mm. and sometimes completely different to what I thought I'd get um, because the machines all they're all, you know they're all mechanical objects, so they all have little foibles. They all have things that don't quite work, or they have little little sort of you know yeah foibles is, is the right. But you word. could expand that in art generally. I mean, when somebody starts to create a sculpture, they have an idea in their mind how it might might look, and then it actually evolves in something quite different. Exactly. It could be the same with a novel yeah. or or, yep. or anything yep. really. But um, really nice Leonard Cohen quote: "There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in." It's happened to me so many times um, with the new album, which has just come out, because uh, it's a soundtrack to a film. 
Uh, and you must name check all your albums. The new album, the new album's called A Creek in Time, and uh, the sound, the source material is all made from creaks, creaking hinges. In fact, one of them was a broadcasting house microphone. So we'll see if this this one does anything. Oh see, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, the the ones downstairs make a much better sound. In fact, you can try your one because you can uh, try, okay. try doing that. Not getting no, much. No. But downstairs, you get the most amazing sort of like this kind of keening, wailing sort of sound mm. when you move it like that. Uh, so some of the sounds were taken from that. Some were from uh, a cupboard door in a ghost town in the Mojave Desert. Oh wow! One was a log cabin in Yosemite uh, when I was visiting a friend over there. Um, so do you just take your portable equipment around I take, everywhere? And I just, take a little a little digital recorder. Mm. I mean, I could take a real to real machine, well. but it would take up a lot more room, mm. and the the source material wouldn't be would be the same. But then you bung it on real to real. All the manipulation is done on tape. Mm. Uh, but I don't consider it cheating to have a little pocket recorder and just you know, well, no, take you've got, little... you've got to get it somehow. Yeah, you? exactly. And um, you know the difference you'd get from digital to analog on that in that sense isn't that great. But uh, obviously, it's the manipulation that makes it interesting. Okay. And you have a partner in but, crime as well. Uh, yes, I have Chris, who I uh, work with quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, at the moment, for various logistical reasons. Uh, most of the compositional stuff is still left to me. Okay. But I'm hoping in future we're going to... When we perform together, Mm. we perform much more as a duo, but the actual composition and the loop cutting is, at the moment, largely falls to me. But Mm -hmm. I'm hoping we're going to work a bit more collaboratively. But anyway, what I was saying was, Mm. um, Steve, who was the filmmaker who made the film, I'd sent him a whole bunch of material for him to cut the images to. And uh, I said I would send him some more. And he messaged me and said, how's it going? You know, have you got anything new? And uh, I'd come to the end of about two or three hours and I was literally seething because all the equipment had sort of been working really erratically and I was getting all kinds of stuff that I hadn't wanted and wasn't expecting. And they were, you know, they were basically misbehaving. And I was really frustrated. But because uh, Steve's quite a taskmaster, I thought I'd better send him something. Let's so, just be clear. Steve is somebody who's created images to your yes. music mm-hmm. and put them on film. Or a creek on in time is a creek in time is available when you buy the LP. Mm-hmm. That's the soundtrack, but you also get a URL and a, and a password to watch the film in full. And we do screen it in various places. We're screening it uh, in a Nuclear Bunker on Friday. Uh, we had a screening in St John in Bethnal Green a few weeks ago. Um, so, you know, it's, it's appearing at a couple of festivals, I think, as well, little film festivals. We'll get to um, the festivals in a bit. But he he basically said, have you got anything new? So I sent him this and I said an email, look, I'm sending you this just to prove that I have have been working on something because it's, 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 it's been driving me mad. But, you know, and I, I hated it. <laughs> yeah. um, half an hour later, I got an email back saying this is the best thing you've ever done. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. And the weird thing is, uh, and it is now one of my favorite tracks, but it's this weird thing where... You know, when you're in there and you're in that situation and you're trying to make stuff, you go, uh, oh, you know, I, it's it's like there's this thing where um, we still have this idea that we're the, you know, the the author, mm. that it's just, you know, it's yeah. our pure undiminished, you know, and it's 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 total ego, but we all have an ego, so everyone falls. In, I I certainly fall into that trap. I think most people do, but if you can detach yourself from that, and that's something I'm I learn. I keep learning as I go or failing to learn or I'm, maybe I'm getting better at learning. If you're able to detach yourself from that and just accept what happens, you know, often it's not what you wanted, but it's actually something better than what you wanted.
and I try and do that now. I try and I try and when I work, I just try and set processes in motion and see where they go, and then I try and catch up. I always say sometimes sometimes I make good music in spite of the machines and sometimes it's the other way around sometimes they make good music <laughs> in spite of me but I think and I think this this is true in radio as well like when you finish this interview presumably you'll cut out all the crappy bits and then the remaining 35 seconds you'll <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I mean I think that's what that's what you do you set all these processes in motion you observe you mix you sort of muck around see what happens and then you go back over it you know you do that as a creator and mm. then you go back over it as an editor and you go right it really worked well here it really worked well here this isn't too bad. Um, this stuff didn't quite work. And um, and also the thing with tape is that initially maybe you're not getting anything, but after a while this sort of mulching process occurs and it starts to it starts to change. The sounds start to change. It starts to form and evolve. Let's listen yeah. to one of your tracks. Okay. Um, Very well. A Creek in Time. Let's have an extract from that. in time by Hal Rounds Robin the Fog. You're listening to SNS Online, and if you want to comment on this or any other show, then please like our Facebook and Twitter pages, both SNS Online. Or if you want to email us, the address is snsonlineshow at gmail.com. All shows are free and downloadable on our SoundCloud page, so check us out. And please like and share everything. I think you'd call that music, wouldn't you? 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 Do you think people who enjoy your music tend to have more of an active imagination or more of a healthy 
um, outlook on on, <laughs> on things. Uh, or, or I don't know. For, is, is there a typical do you fan? think they enjoy their sex life more? <laughs> it's for a typical fan, do you think? Uh, I mean, coming from my perspective, I'm a massive science fiction fan. Doctor Who used to buy these CDs, um, uh, records of you know Doctor Who sound effects, out of this world, or the rest of it. And I, I loved I it. You still it, have them, Nick? I still have them, and they, 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 they spiritually take me to have other you got high tech effects? Times and places. No. It's um, a very good one. Get a hold of a copy of that. Okay. Loads um, of dick meals on it. Um, loads of what? Dick meals. <laughs> dick <laughs> meals. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, Gosh, it's hard work. I think we'll have to start again. <laughs> um, Where from? About 1995. Do I think <laughs> people who listen to my music have more active imaginations? Yeah. Um... I have literally no idea. Oh, right. Um, right, next. <laughs> but um, it's a weird thing. It People either don't get it. People, most people don't really get it. Very few people say, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. Some people are totally unmoved by it. They don't understand it. Uh, but a lot of those people are people who enjoy more traditional music, who who expecting a chorus at some point, expecting a structure, but they're not they're not expecting this this freestyle when way. When you say of, traditional, I would say you mean more kind of pop music or well, more sort of yeah, yeah. You know, um, am I? Do you not do you not agree with that? No, I, I don't know really because I've, I've um, the people who do like it really love it. Mm. Um, and the people who are into it are really... But are they all a bit weird, Robin? Um, <laughs> everyone's a little bit weird. P- possibly. I don't yeah. know. Um, I... No, you know I'm on, I'm on your side. I'm just teasing No, you. no, there's nothing wrong with a bit of weirdness. No, absolutely not. Robin with... the Fog, what's that about? Um, uh, it's a twofold thing. One is that I happen to really like foggy sounds... And sort of give us an example of a foggy sound. Uh, well, the most you know, like a lot of howram music does have a sort of smoky sort of fogginess to it, doesn't mm-hmm, it? You mm-hmm. know, uh, I also love foghorns. Okay. Um, or who doesn't love a good foghorn? Absolutely. You know? Bring it on. Uh, there is another official story of how I earned myself the nickname, but I always say you have to buy me a drink before I tell you it. Okay. You are um, called Robin the f- Frog occasionally on, yes, uh, on Six totally, Music. Yeah, totally an error. Yeah, mm. that, that is that is. A, BBC Radio. Music News. Six Music. With Georgie. Let's hear about um, a new thing. October, we'll see a programme of events take place across London called London Month of the Dead. Events include live music, historical lectures, taxidermy workshops, a magic lantern show. Taxidermy workshops? (laughs) And tea and cake in a death cafe. Um, And it's going to take place... (laughs) At At Brompton Cemetery Chapel, a Victorian dome in the centre of the cemetery and also Kensal Green Cemetery. Oh, that's not near me. (laughs) Um, So London manipulated sound duo HowlRound. They work with tape loops and reel-to-reel tape recorders, field recordings and found sounds. And um, they're performing on the 9th of October by Candlelight in Brompton Cemetery Mm. Chapel. So Elizabeth Olker spoke... (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done anything this time. Sorry. <laughs> Spoke to Robin the Frog from the duo. Oh, I see why he told us more. <laughs> you you know, don't choose your nickname, sadly. <laughs> it, it chooses you. Absolutely. That, that one chose me. So. But your your bread and butter job, you've just completed a nine-year stint as a 
BBC Studio Manager. Nearly that's right. nine, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, also, uh, at the same time, you've been an independent producer, producing your own content, a lot mm-hmm. of it linked to HowlRound and mm-hmm. uh, another artist that you've uh, admired. Music and sounds and sort of cultural stuff that I've thought worthy of, that I thought was interesting. So yeah. Six Music, Today, uh, quite a few different... Uh, uh, PM, Let's r- roll through Tonight, them. News Hour, Weekend... Um, Jarvis Cocker's Sunday Service, The Freakier Zone, um, Lake Junction. So really, would you would you prefer to be described as a broadcaster uh, or a musician or a studio manager? Uh, this is the thing. It's I've, One thing I've learned at the BBC is it's really dangerous to have one job title because it just ends up defining you. Um, so I, I always refer to myself as a producer because yeah. I produce radio, I produce music, I produce, you know... Um, so I would call myself a producer. Um, cool. But that sounds good to me. Broadcaster sort of sounds a bit more like I should be wearing a sort of smoking jacket or, a, mm. you know. Uh, or no, a foggy jacket. Uh, I have presented many times. I'm quite happy to present. but that's So you present for a, a residence FM, is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have done, yeah. I've many times. Um, countless times. This programme is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. This is OST, the soundtrack show, normally presented by Mr. Johnny Trunk, but today presented by myself, Robin the Fog, and Strictly Kev, a.k.a. DJ Food. Hello, Kev. Hi, Robin. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm very hot. It is very hot today, isn't it? Yeah, it very is sunny very... day. It's beautiful. It's a sunny day, <laughs> which is fitting, because today uh, we are doing a Sesame Street special. I mean, I usually try and, you know, do a few things for them every year. Mm. Um, I had a weekly show there until earlier this year when I just I had a bit too much on my plate. So I had to had to rest it. I'm, hoping, mm. it'll, I'm sure it'll come back at some point. Yeah. Cool. Scratch and sniff. With Nick Randall. Let's talk about your albums. Let's uh, let, let's actually start at one of your earlier tracks. And what was the first track that you really felt you were getting somewhere? You were understanding what what all this meant to you. And um, well, I hadn't made music for about five or six years. I had a block, um, and basically, I just got really bored of cutting up samples and waveforms on a computer screen. Uh, just you know. Um, so I was making dance music at that point, and I just I just entered a total block with it, and uh, you know, I was very, I wasn't particularly in a jolly place at the time, so uh, you know, so I was just massively blocked and couldn't really do anything. Um, but I always knew I'd come back to it somehow. And uh, one day I was down in Essex, which is the the old Bush House studio. Now, that's sadly, not not Essex. That's S six, which yeah. is a studio. Studio six. It's in the basement, or it was in the basement of Bush House. Now sadly gone. It's a swimming pool now, apparently. Is it? I, I've heard various mm. stories, but um, yeah. Uh, and Tebow, who uh, was a fellow studio manager, he was recording his band down there. Uh, okay. So Tebow, as it happens, there was uh, another SM called Dan Bevan and a musician called Alexander Tucker who were recording an album in uh, Bush House as well, yep. and they left some of their tape loops around. And Tebow said, oh, it's easy to make a tape loop. I'll show you. So we made this tape loop, and we started mucking around with it. Um and I'd recorded myself because I knew I wanted to record the sounds of the building because I used to whistle when I was walking around the building and I loved the sounds of the whistle sort of echoing around these big high hallways. That's what the noise was Oh yeah, at three in the morning. Um, actually, there was a door handle on the fifth floor of, um, of Bush House that made the most amazing squealing noise. And of course, because it had a high ceiling, it echoed. So I, record, so I recorded that a few times. Um, 
But yeah, I recorded myself whistling and I, all I had with me at the time was my phone and I recorded myself into my phone. And then we'd left some microphones out from a music session in S6 and I was, I was the guy who was clearing up at the end of the day. And the tape loop was still on the machine. So I thought, oh, well, you know, why not? So I got the recording of me whistling on my phone, played it, held it up in front of one of the microphones, press play, uh, dubbed it onto the tape. And then I played it back at half speed. And suddenly, instead of my out-of-tune whistling, this kind of choir sound came mm. out. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. So what track did that evolve into? That was... The Resonating Stairwell. Let's have this. On the Ghost of Bush. So an extract from The Ghosts of Bush there, a very significant one for people from the BBC World Service because that was recorded um, in Bush House after approximately 80-odd years of working in that building for the BBC. We were moved to a new, exciting IKEA-themed uh, building in Oxford Circus. But before we the left... Yeah, absolutely. The Panopticon furnished by Habitat, that's what I call it. <laughs> but, but before we left, you decided to get some classic sounds from Bush House and create a, a symphony, if you like. And um, If I call it a symphony, but yeah. it was. Uh, I had two tape machines down in their six, and I used, uh, basically, I would have, one had a tape loop on it, and I would record lo different loops of sounds onto that and dub them in. And I had another machine which was... Using, uh, which was feeding the sounds back into itself, which is where the name Howran comes from. Mm. So it was a machine that was recording and playing back simultaneously. And if you, if you were careful, you could sort of set up this really nice kind of fuzzy tape echo sort of sound. So if it's all about if you hit the bat, if obviously if you go too far, it, it overloads and starts mm. blowing you up. Uh, and if you don't do enough, it doesn't work. But if you can just sort of get it so it's sort of at its biting point, you can sort of have it sitting there, kind of uh, resonating really nicely. So. Yeah, and I, I would just build up layer after layer of sound and, you know, and dub them in. And, and this got quite a bit of airplay on the BBC, not surprisingly. Yeah, did all right. Yeah. It's, yeah, sold quite well too. Fantastic. Uh, yeah.
let's run through your albums. How many have you had so far? And what? Uh, give us give us your names. Okay, so 2012 was the Ghost of Bush, mm-hmm. which is that one. Uh, 2013, uh, Secret Songs of Savamala, which was recorded in Belgrade in Serbia. Wow. In, in the basement of this flooded customs house. just been used on the soundtrack to a horror movie fantastic allegedly well it's still in the editing process do you get any so cash for it I very much doubt I'll get any cash for it no. well, why, why would you and well, he created it the, the, the guy who does all my mastering <laughs> is the is the soundtrack composer so he sort of borrowed a couple of things and okay uh, so hopefully I don't know hopefully he'll push me a few quid somewhere mm. at some point um, that was recorded in yeah, in, in, in Belgrade then there was Torrid and Gate, which was entirely recorded using a front garden gate. sounds of it as it were mm. and the contact mic sort of attached to the, the metal and it did it was um it was a couple who it was a resonance fm uh, auction prize because we have a, they have a fundraising auction every year mm-hmm. where people put up prizes to for people to bid for and how rounds was we'll make a composition out of your home and these guys paid <laughs> uh, i think they paid nearly 300 quid um so we went to their house to get our sounds and we opened the gate and we were like and we just stopped at the gate <laughs> we were like okay yeah this is pretty good um so it's an album made entirely of the sounds of uh, one Gabe. album, a whole album made based on one sound. Yep. And and what did the people feel? Well, they must have been Tony so and flattered. Kath. Tony and Kath, I should Tony say, were Kath. amazing. Uh, because Hello, they, Tony and Kath. They gave us permission to uh, to release it. Yeah. Because originally, obviously, it was just for them. Mm. We did give them some material that was just theirs as well, but. Uh, but they allowed us to release it, which was amazing. And they awesome. still t- they still turn up at our gigs occasionally. That's as well. so cool. Yeah, really nice that people. Is both wonderful. Of them, really lovely. After that, Tales from the Black Tangle, which is... Um, Lovely titles. Thank you. Mm. Uh, four, four compositions, um, one of which is made entirely out of the uh, creaking As you're, creaking you're trying to cradle. Know. I'm not, yeah, this one's a bit too oily. <laughs> and also some, there was one that was made out of, sort of foghorn noises and all that. That was actually the first time we'd ever used, or I'd ever used, recordings I hadn't made myself because it's very hard to get recordings of foghorns. Mm. So uh, I had to cheat a little bit. Then there was a split cassette with the amazing Time Attendant, who's a 
time attendant's amazing actually he does sort of synthesis type stuff really sort of dense really beautiful we did a split uh cassette one side each on a manchester label called front and follow cassette and, mm -hmm. beautiful cassette on really cassette. lovely done nice nice printing nice cover everything yeah mm. it's called the blow volume two Mm -hmm. uh, it's part of a series of cassettes they've released. Wow. Um, cassettes. Yep, yeah, they're just about to release volumes four and five. Wax cylinder? I think. Uh, not yet, but I do have Bring a friend it. who makes them. Okay. So I'm hoping at of some point. Of course you do, Robin. I'm <laughs> hoping at some point he's going to let us do do something. Um, and then the new one, which is uh, which is called A Creek in Time, which is the film soundtrack. And at some point in the next few months, there's going to be a, a remix album of that coming out. Fantastic. Well. While we're so, talking about A Creek in Time, you probably don't know this, Robin, because I turned up with a comedy moustache and uh, a false nose. And uh, I infiltrated. I remember. I yes. in, oh, right. Well, I was the, my cover yes. was blown I, straight I remember away. You, uh, I infiltrated the gig to, uh, to check out how uh, a live show with HowlRound is done and to speak to some of your friends. So a, a live version of HowlRound is, is obviously quite different from the studio. It, it looks quite sort of frenetic and um, chaotic, but is that the idea or is there certainly any streamlined sort of focus to the performance tonight? Um, well, I think it's basically, when it goes, I always say when it goes wrong, that's part of the performance and it might not actually be wrong at all. It might just be a another version of right that you hadn't thought about. So by sort of allowing a bit of chaos in and a bit of a chance to improvise, I think that's a nice, uh, you know, it sort of opens up because in the studio, you know, we it's it, the studio and the live performances aren't in aren't a million miles apart because we, you know, it's all about manipulating tape. But with this, there's a sort of element of unpredictability to it, which can open up sort of interesting juxtapositions and scenarios and things. So Chris, you're HowlRound um, Mark II, The Revenge. <laughs> so, so how would you sort of sum up HowlRound, live compared to in the studio? Uh, in the studio, you we tend to let things circle, well, loop is probably the better word, there, for a longer time and see how the different elements slip in and out of time together. So you might record something for like 10 minutes, which is barely changing, but you're in the studio, so you're just generating material. Live, we're moving a lot faster, and you're aware there's an audience, so you can't expect them to be listening for these microscopic changes in sound so you kind of you kind of get so we have this thing this kind of theater we've developed where i sort of either whisper to robin or sort of tap on a tape or robin just goes right i've had enough of this loop and <laughs> yeah, well, i completely ignore what you're saying going, i'll have that one uh, which, has, which has happened a couple of times by mistake <laughs> guys good luck tonight i'm looking forward to this live performance of HowlRound. thank you very, very much, much nick yeah. So, the audience are taking their seats in anticipation for A Creek in Time. say that went extremely well, celebrating both the macro and micro with images including landscapes, planets, stars, as well as extreme close-ups of everyday objects. 
time to grab a drink now. And a word with the director himself, Steve McKinney. So, Steve, we've just seen the film. Uh, absolutely intriguing. A microscopic view of uh, reality or other reality, whatever. Uh, talk us through it. Um, I have a very good reception here. Okay, yeah. It was... Um shot uh, and uh, over the course of about two years um, which has been a collaboration with HowlRound and we uh, we basically got together we met through mutual friends and we just chatted about our interests and you know um, what inspired us creatively musically um, filmically and it all came down to uh, the cosmos and uh, the intrinsic connection between the macro and the micro and um, it's been quite a journey, this whole process, because um, it has been a long time that we've been making this and it's been unfolding um, in a natural way. The music is the driving force behind this. Um, that is the inspiration uh, to the film. So some extracts there from um, a live gig in Eclectic in Waterloo, which also exists as a companion show to this, uh, so do check that out on the SNS Online page on SoundCloud. Uh, as we're talking about live shows, let's expand that. What other shows have you done? Festivals as well. Let's talk about those. Uh, yep. Um, this weekend coming, I'm playing the Delaware Road in Kelvedon Hatch Nuclear Bunker. Wow. So I'm in the natural nuclear bunker? Yeah, it's been preserved exactly as it would have been at the height of the Cold War. Uh, and we're doing this big sort of uh, audio-visual sort of... Uh, f uh, everyone's using the word immersive now, but it is. Immersive? It's, everyone's using that word. Okay. But it's everywhere. There's performances going on all around the sort of complex. And how do you attract people? I mean, presumably just internet and, I mean, other particular sites. But, if so... I knew that, I'd tell you. But okay. I, just keep, uh, I just keep telling people about stuff. And <laughs> you hope it turn up. And people do keep... Some people do keep turning up. Some people turn up to everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it isn't. It isn't everybody's cup of tea. So mm. once you find your people who are into it, mm. you've you've got to. But I must say, from uh, from the eclectic show, it was clear that it's not just the music. It's it's the location you pick. It seems to be very important. High ceilings. It's the whole theatre of you running tape spools through a la Delia Derbyshire mm -hmm. um, from running Doctor tape Who loops around the building. It gives, it gives the performance a sort of sculptural feel as well. Yeah, it also absolutely. introduces an element of unpredictability. <laughs> uh, because the machines are unpredictable, the way the loops will behave when they go around the space, that's mm. unpredictable. Um, so, you know, I mean, we've had performances practically grind to a halt. <laughs> but the thing is, again, it takes you out of your comfort zone. You have to keep going. Yeah. You have to find some way of keeping going. Mm. Um, you know, and there is a very real possibility that the performance will sort of implode mm. and the audience will go home disappointed. That is possible. But that <laughs> gives it a sort of uh, a frisson, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, just to say that in terms of the actual music, when you were, uh, you know, marrying music to images, I mean, it, it sort of creates to me a very sort of ethereal sci-fi movie, very filmic music. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. If we sort of look to the future now, I mean, where do you see all this going? Could you see yourself being signed up to score a science fiction film? Because I think well, the trouble is, I'd, I'd love to, mm. and you know. Um, but the trouble with doing the tape music is it's like sort of people have said, oh, you know, let's collaborate. And the thing is, and I've said to them, well, the thing is with tape music, I never quite know what I'm going to get. So it's very hard to cut. I mean, the film was actually cut to the music because it's a lot harder to make the stuff we do cut to images because, 
you know, it's so hard. You know, it's very unpredictable. It's so hard to keep track of it all the time. So it'd be, it would have to be a very special marriage between the filmmakers and yourselves yeah. and the script, which would basically fundamentally be a script, but it would allow mm. adaptations in terms yeah. of like of course. Um, continuing on. But on it is a- tricky to do that. If the way we make the music, the way the music is made, mm. um, there is a lot of unpredictability. There is a lot of just having to sort of, there's a lot of maintaining equilibrium, like trying mm. to keep things in motion and mm. sort of, you know, so it's, you know, whereas composers generally score to image, they have the footage they need to accompany mm. and they write to that. Mm. And while we would certainly try and do that with Howround, it's not easy. More likely to be the other way around. Exactly. I don't see that as being impossible. You it's, just have to have a very kind director and yeah. an editor. Yeah. Uh, but who's, um, who's but it's an exciting way of working as well because, again, because you never quite know what you're going to get, which mm. I like. Yeah. Um, but obviously it doesn't lend itself terribly well to a director who has a very strict idea about what they mm. want. But you don't want to pick But then you people. can present, but then maybe you could present them ideas and they could, I mean, there's, there's, there's always ways of doing these things. I think one of my final questions now is what to the actual as I can say, real guys and girls from the BBC workshop, the glory days of a radiophonic workshop. And I know you're involved working with some of these people, Mark Ayres, etc. What do they say about your work? And um, indeed, do you intend to work with any of them in the future on a project? Uh, I'm always open for projects. I should say, uh, my I've interviewed Mark Ayres a couple of times. I wouldn't say we're working together. Um... But, I mean, have they listened to your music? Have they given you feedback? Uh, yeah. Have Mark, they given Mark, you some hell around? Mark enjoyed the album. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think Mark enjoyed the album. I wouldn't put words in his mouth, but he seemed quite... Was it just lots of white noise coming from his mouth? <laughs> he seemed quite into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think the, the Radio Funny Workshop, they kind of have their thing that they do, and I have my thing that I do. And I'm, while I'm not... I mean, uh, you know, I've heard their new album, and it's great, and it's brilliant that they're back, and they're making new stuff and all that. Um but I think the danger with a lot of this stuff is to sort of get into a, a kind of a retro sort of fetishistic sort of, you know. I mean, the thing is, ultimately, I'm trying to make new music. Mm. And and I'm not using tape because it's very cool and very retro and very, you But know, you are a bit. Um, it's a fringe benefit. Uh-huh. But if I didn't make sounds that interested in me with tape, I wouldn't use it. Okay. Um you know, I use tape a lot because of the way it transforms the sound, the way it degrades, mm. the way it sort of, you know, that kind of warm, fuzzy sound that it has. Um, but the thing is, I like to think that, you know, I'm making music. I think when you listen to Howround stuff, you can tell that I've sort of grown up with like, you know, dance music and electronic music and ambient music and things like that. So while obviously it's tipping its hat to all those guys in the 60s and 70s that came first and, you know, or earlier... Um, you know, in the 50s even, mm. you know, there's a clear, I, th- I hope there's a clear lineage between what Pierre Schiffer and Pierre Henri were doing in the early days of Music Concrete and what I'm doing now. But I would say what they were doing was closer to the sort of classical tradition, the way they were thinking about mm. composition, because they were still using scores and sort of thinking about it. Are Whereas, we talking about those, uh, were they French? Yes. Right, those are the people I think Verity Lambert wanted to do Doctor Who. The uh, theme to. No, or, or that's the Lazarie Bashi. I can't. Okay. I hope my pronunciation's correct. Mm. They did the. I'm not going to try and say it. The La Structure Sonos. Yeah, the, yeah, don't yeah. leave that in. No, that's no, rubbish. No. Don't yeah. leave that in. No, that's no, rubbish. No. Um, <laughs> but I think with my stuff, you can click. You can hear that it. It's definitely paying an ode. A paying paying homage to um, to sort of dance music and club mm. culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the sort of ambient music of the 90s and things like yeah, that. Yeah. 
you know. with, with a hint of Delia Derbyshire running those. Yeah, but I think but we must uh, so flag much up of that here. music was inspired by her as well. Though. Yeah, we you must know. flag up was a studio manager of the BBC. She was, yeah, as was Daphne Oram, who founded the Radiophonic Workshop. Bring it on, um, bring it on. I think technically she was a sound balancer, but, you know, it's just, it's a studio manager in all but name. It's the same sort of thing. Well, yeah. listen, Robin the Fog, Sir of Fog, thank you so much for joining uh, Scratch and Sniff tonight. I hope the future is rosy and um, and uh, indeed radiophonic. And just before you go, uh, all our guests get a celebrity goodie bag and you are no exception. What a celebrity goodie bag. Oh, there you go, sir. Wow. There you go. Oh, thank you. Oh, wow, this is quite a heavy celebrity goodie. There we go. Crumbs. So, Mr. Robin, thank you so much for joining us tonight. There's a little white powder in here, Nick. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> mm.